Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Metcast, the podcast of Manchester Metropolitan University. My name is Dan Cotton, and in this episode I'm looking ahead to the UK government's autumn budget. On Wednesday, the 27th of October, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, will deliver his next budget and spending review to the House of Commons. I spoke to Christian Spence, Head of Future Economies Analytics in Manchester Metropolitan's Future Economies Research Centre, about what we can expect to hear from the Chancellor and where the government's spending priorities may lie. So Christian, I wanted to start by asking you what the main announcements will be in the budget and what we should be looking out for when the Chancellor delivers his speech on Wednesday. Yeah, and I think this is a really unusual budget because we've got the comprehensive spending review wrapped up as in that as well. So that's usually where the Chancellor sets out the multi-year settlements for what they're going to do fiscally. So two, three, we're probably going to expect a three-year um, forecast horizon this time. So looking at spending out to about 2024, kind of end of the Parliament, getting ready for the next election. And I'm sure there'll be something in there uh, that's at least preparing, uh, preparing the ground for the next election whenever it lands. Unusually, so we actually know quite a lot already. Um, so we've already had some big fiscal announcements. We're in the budget earlier in the year, in March, we found out about the, the hefty rises to corporation tax. That's rising up to 24% over the coming years. We've also got actually the broad spending, what we tend to call the spending envelope. So how much money does government actually intend to spend over the next three years? Normally, we'd have expected that to wait until uh, until the budget itself. Uh, but that came out in an earlier announcement in the year alongside the news uh, that there's going to be some changes to national insurance rates. Uh, that's to be sort of this new um, social care funding levy. Uh, so it's kind of that's that, that's a really big fiscal announcement in itself, uh, a chunky rise in, in national insurance. And we know the broad spending envelope. So it's you're almost left thinking, well, I wonder what's actually going to be in this, because the really big headlines are already out in the public domain. I think he's going to be, there's a couple of things he's going to have to focus on. You know, the, the challenges of post-COVID recovery for the economy as a whole, as well as thinking about how funds will be diverted into those bits of the public services which are really struggling with a backlog. So obviously health is is the natural big one in there. There are some funding rises both related to COVID but also increased funding already planned over the next three years for health. But out at the out at the end point, three years from now, those rises look surprisingly small. And I don't think he's going to be able to get away with leaving the spending pattern for health where it is. I think whether he does it now or whether he leaves it for a year or two, his hand is likely to be forced uh, in terms of increasing that. So we'll certainly be looking not just at the volume of spending, because I said theoretically we know that. The real devil in the detail falls two ways. Number one is what's the profile of that? So how much of that is being front-loaded or back-loaded? Is that spending coming in the next fiscal year or is it being pushed out to the back end of the parliament? That matters because you can make government spending figures look a lot better by by profiling spend differently. So we need to keep an eye on that. And the second one is the split between what we now call protected and unprotected departments. Now, this is a legacy of George Osborne when he was chancellor in the first half of the last decade. We saw protected departments like health, education, back then also defence and international aid spending ring fence. They were sort of guaranteed at least inflationary rises and spending. 
which meant that actually the whole bulk of the austerity program from 2010 onwards fell on all the other bits of the departments. And actually, the other departments are moderately small compared to those. You know, health eats up an increasing share of, of what government does. Um, education and defence are two of the big budgets. But it's the relatively smaller ones. Local government, and of course, local government is at least responsible for social care. So there's some connection into health in there. Justice and a whole load of others, transport, those ones have seen their budget squeezed really very, very hard. And at the moment, you know, that said the, the wide public spending envelope for this budget is up, certainly. There's going to be more money spent at the end of the Parliament than there is now. But again, it's going to look likely, a bit like it was in the in the austerity period, that those big protected departments take that money and the rest of government services continue to be squeezed. And I think there's a real question about how much more you can squeeze out of, certainly local government, um, because they can, they've they almost no control over the amount of money they can raise through, through business rates and council tax. And, and then things like the justice system is, you know, is, is just facing astonishing levels of backlogs. We've closed half the magistrates' courts in the UK in the, over the last decade or so. So it's hard to see where that's going to square. So I think that's one aspect. And the second one is probably around the levelling up agenda. So there's sort of the, the, the repair of public finances and, and the repair of the damage that the COVID environment has done to them. That's going to be all that first bit. And where is he going to spend for backlogs? And the second one is, is, is levelling up. And I think there's a number of angles to this. Um, the first one is the, the white paper itself. So, you know, we've been promised that levelling up is the core policy of this government since Boris stood on the streets of, Down, of steps of Downing Street back in 2019. We're still waiting for some detail. Um, Michael Gove is now Secretary of State in charge of looking after all that. Uh, Neil O'Brien, uh, MP in Leicester, is the junior minister who's charged with drawing up that paper. The initial expectation was that's going to land with the budget. We th- for now, we think it might, but there are some concerns that that's going to slip and it's going to be closer to Christmas. Now, I think that's a challenge in two ways. Number one is this is the apparently set-piece agenda for this government, and we're two and a half years into the parliament already. And so they're running out of time if they really want to show any tangible benefit by the time they hit the next election. And secondly, the white paper coming after the budget itself is a little bit of putting the cart before the horse. There's a real danger here that that Sunak as chancellor, we know he's incredibly keen to balance the books. We know he keeps using this phrase of, you know, not putting debt onto the future generations. So there's a real danger that if the budget happens first, he sets all the broad spending limits and then the levelling up white paper is forced to try and come up with something within the amount of money available rather than a much more sensible policy preparation regime, which I would advocate, is we do the levelling up stuff, we work out what it is government wants to do and what is a reasonable budget for all of that and then we allocate that cash. And I think the challenge of that is going to be interesting. If there's no white paper to hang this framework on, I suspect that budget's going to be squeezed um, even more firmly. Anything else that's new? Well, we know we've, or rather, we've got a hint already that that Sunak might reduce the bank levy. This is a kind of an aspect of corporation tax on bank profits that was introduced by by Gordon Brown uh, and his chancellor just after the uh, the financial crash in 2008 to try and sort of get money back from the banks after the after the damage they caused Sunak appears to be con- concerned that that might be having some international competitive effects on London as a financial center and so we might see a reduction in that 
otherwise it's sort of an open game you know we've we've got a lot of news about the idea that leveling up's important we've got news that the to the continued drive to increase um, R&D budgets, research and uh, development budgets, particularly for, that's important for our world in higher education, particularly, there's all of these things sort of talking around, but, you know, this is this hasn't been a budget that's leaked as much as previous ones have. A lot of the big fiscal announcements, as I said earlier, that we'd expect to hear next Wednesday uh, at the budget have already been announced, and so whether this, I suspect... I suspect this is going to be very much a focus on we are the safe custodians of the economy, we are balancing the books. My gut instinct is that's going to be the big narrative you'll push. Yeah, and with that in mind, uh, do you think there'll be any surprises or anything controversial that might be raised when the budget is delivered? I suspect it's good, as well, as always, it'll be in the detail in this stuff. So we always tend to say there are two budgets. There's the budget the Chancellor delivers, and then there's the budget we all manage to unpick in the documents in the in the 24 or 48 hours afterwards. I think the likely challenges to this are going to be how balanced across the economy the, the measures he takes to, to repair the public finances are. I think he's going to come under some kind of political pressures. If you think recently, we've already seen the removal of the £20 a week uplift to universal credit, which by its very nature falls on uh, some of the poorest households um, in the country. I've already mentioned that so we think we're going to see a reduction in, in bank levy, which again, by its definition, is essentially um, lowering the tax rates for some of our highest performing uh, and most profitable industries. We've seen the social care levy introduced uh, on national insurance. Now, a lot of expectation, if you'd asked any policymaker on this, certainly any sort of tax policymaker, they would have said, if you're looking to raise that kind of money, you'd be better putting it onto the basic rate of income tax um, because it falls more broadly. People who are retired pay it. If you're, um, you pay it if you're coming back in through and you're liquidating investments like property, then you'd pay it then too. By putting it onto ANI, you're essentially protecting some of the wealthiest income taxpayers um, who will be exempt from this. Now, he's gone some way to patch that by saying actually working pensioners will be uh, will be in scope for this levy. But again, there's an aspect there of we are we are taxing working people. You can certainly make the argument they're taxing working people by increasing NI whilst making sure that pensioners who are essentially the beneficiaries of the social care it's meant to, uh, that they're going to be the beneficiaries of, are, uh, are getting away with not contributing to that. And ultimately, the whole of the social care reform, as we've seen it so far, is about making sure how do people who already have large house assets within their um, within their financial arrangements, how do they keep as much as possible of that, uh, and they don't see it sold off to uh, to pay for social care. And another one is we are still waiting for the final decision on student loan repayment thresholds. This sounds a bit dull, but at the moment, if, you're a, if you've been a graduate, you repay your student loan at 9% of earnings above about 27000 a year. There's a lot of talk that's going to come down, possibly to 23, possibly even lower than that. Again, that's essentially putting a much larger marginal rate of income tax. You'd, be, you'd go from paying 20% to 29% at £23,000 a year rather than 29000 So that's, again, it's another increase. The increases in taxes that he's managing to find are on the whole balanced towards the bottom end of the earning distribution rather than the top. Now, he's clearly keen to balance the books. That's been the narrative of this government I mean, since since 2010. It's certainly the narrative of, uh, of Rishi Sunak as Chancellor since he was appointed. But I do wonder how much longer they can keep going with this. For now, the political pressure doesn't seem to be too high. 
But, you know, my instinct is at some point there's a straw that breaks the camel's back and people might start saying, this is, this is all. Why are you balancing the books on the bottom half of the, distri- of the pay distribution? And I think that's a reasonable question. So those, I think, are the things to watch. There may be some slights of hand about how some of this is announced. Uh, you know, we froze it. We've already got the freezing of, of income tax uh, bans. Um, so that's you know, dragging a few more people. Uh, each time into the income tax, but again, from the bottom of the distribution rather from the top. Um, So equity, I think, is the one thing we should really be watching for. So there's obviously a lot of things to look out for at a national level, but as you touched on when you spoke about the levelling up agenda, there's a lot to look out for at a regional level too, and particularly here in Greater Manchester and the North West. What kind of announcements should we look out for here? Sure. Well, I mean, I guess one of the big things on the levelling up is Greater Manchester, often one of the first the first authorities in the country, sort of out of the uh, out of the traps with ideas, has already drawn up and submitted its levelling up idea to government. So one of the things we'll certainly be watching for is it does government make any response? So is there a sign? You know, we'll, there's only two or three areas in the country said actually have already gone ahead and said here's our plan. We think you're going to come for one at some point, but we're going to preempt it. Uh, so is there an acknowledgement to Sunak that those have been received and potentially taken forward? Um, that would be one thing definitely to watch for. Part of that, and it's part of wider of, of Andy Burnham, the mayor of Greater Manchester's agenda, is um, greater funding for a London-style public transport system, particularly in terms of buses, but with a longer-term view to, to, to extend that out into the trains as well. So is there some funding for that? But that's been a key ask of Greater Manchester for a long time, ever since they started to go down the, uh, the, the avenue of franchising the bus network. So we'll certainly keep an eye on that. And then I think the wider devolution agenda. So the devolution's kind of gone quiet, um, really since sort of Theresa May's period of, of prime minister. But we have had some hints over the last year or so that government is open to the idea of more combined authorities um, and more mayors, particularly at county level. You know, all mayors at the moment, not all, but the majority of the mayors at the moment are in the big um, urban cities, um, Liverpool, Manchester, Sheffield, and Birmingham. Um, there are some others in Cambridge and Peterborough in the southwest. Um, but looking at counties, now of course that's important because Manchester is surrounded by some some big counties, Lancashire to our north and Cheshire down to our south. And so thinking about what does that look like? Um, how might neighbouring areas to us within the northwest. Um, there's a lot of talk going on over the Pennines, of course, about what happens with North Yorkshire. These are ways that could really change the direction of devolution and the politics of devolution over the next uh, over the next decade or so. More mayors, you know, the, the, the we've seen the clear voice that mayors like Andy Burnham and Steve Rotherham in Liverpool have managed to achieve since they were elected, um, to have more of those in the north speaking and advocating on behalf of some of those specifically northern policies would be, I think, a great opportunity. Um, and so we should we should watch for things like that. I guess, finally, on the regional stuff, is thinking about some of the things that have already been announced, but we're still waiting for a bit more detail on. So there was the whole Freeports agenda, which was announced um, around about a year or so ago. Um, there's a few cities in the north that have been bidding for those, uh, and we're still waiting to hear some of the some of the outcomes. Or we know that some people have got some cities have won them, but we don't yet know what some of the funding and special arrangements might be. So keeping an eye on those is going to be is going to be really key. I think finally on the north, it's you know the big north south divide question 
we, we shouldn't probably brand it as north-south. We should be clear and say this is about sort of greater London and the greater southeast uh, against other parts of the country. Is just the relative levels of social deprivation. And so when we think about funding for local government, when we think about infrastructure investment, which is apparently also part of this government's line, it all fits in with the, the, uh, the levelling up agenda, is actually is there some genuine cash coming forward? You know, there's been lots of little pots. We've got towns funds and regeneration funds in, in all sorts of different siloed areas, relatively small pots of money, all to be competitively bid for. Um, it will be great to see actually some proper long-term structural thinking. We're still waiting for the replacements to the European Regional Development Fund system and Shared Prosperity Fund to come in. This will be a great time to get those announced and provide some stability for the region overall. Brilliant. Thank you, Christian. So a lot to look out for on Wednesday. And we'll wait to see what the Chancellor delivers. And we look forward to hearing your thoughts and reaction. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Metcast, the podcast of Manchester Metropolitan University. Your feedback is always welcome, as are much needed review ratings on iTunes. So if you have a moment, please head there to let us know what you think. You can subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. That's all for now. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>